Well, after all that, that kind of introduction, I just can't wait to hear me. <laughs> Let me also join our brother in welcoming you to the service tonight. I'm glad you came back. I'm glad you love the Lord enough to be here. I was thinking about Mrs. Legault. I told her at lunch today, I said, now, uh, you get as much mileage out of this as you can, that shoulder thing, you know. And uh, I'm not sure, but this, maybe that's what it's about. <laughs> now, I don't tell her I said that. <laughs> she, oh, she is. <laughs> I take everything back. <laughs> it's good to see you on Sunday night, and a lot of churches have called off their Sunday nights because they're so embarrassed by the lack of attendance. But I'm glad it's not so here. I was preaching in Vermont at a church years ago, and, and on Sunday morning I said something that as an evangelist you, you can't fix it, and of course up north it means you can't repair it. And I said something you couldn't fix or repair. I said, if you stay home tonight and watch that television set, I hope it blows up. Well, you can't fix that, so you go on to something else as soon as possible. Came back that night and the house was full. I'm sitting on the platform on Monday night, and the preacher looked over there and said, Dr. Fielder, I believe everyone that was here yesterday morning came back last night. He said, I don't know whether they came back because they love Jesus or to save their television sets, but they were here. <laughs> anyway, open your Bible to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And I should mention to you, so several people have mentioned this morning getting a bundle of books from my book table. Uh, I do take personal checks and I take cash. I don't take food stamps, but I do take checks and cash. If you want to write a check for something back there, that's fine, a personal check. But I think I've only had two occasions in my ministry of 39 years in evangelism where a check did not clear, only two, two times. Anyway, in Galatians chapter 1, I preached from this morning. I preached on the reiteration of the gospel. And tonight, I want to preach on perversion of the gospel and I want to read the same text. I want to add a couple of three verses to it. Let's read verses 1 through 9 of Galatians chapter 1, after which we'll bow our heads and pray again. And the Bible said, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him, which called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that troubled you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so sign again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you received, let him be accursed. Let's bow our heads with that now and pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the wonderful service we've enjoyed tonight. And we could leave now and say we've been blessed. But it happens we're down once again to the most important part of any service. And that is when the word of God is written and enlarged upon and the sense is given. And it is my lot to do that once again. I love doing that. I don't feel adequate for it, but I love doing it. And I pray that you might breathe on the service and breathe on the sermon and breathe on thy servant and help me once again to declare deliberately the divine directives of this document that is so dear to the disciples of Christ. Help me, Lord, that my enunciation would be good so that it would be understood. Give me a good recall in my memory as I quote the verses that need to be quoted. 
And uh, may the Holy Spirit use those to speak to our hearts tonight, to give us something to take with us, something to ponder, something that would encourage us, something would challenge us. And Lord, if you'll do that, I'll feel like our time in being here tonight has been invested well, and I will praise you for it. And I do praise you for it now in advance. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A way of introduction, there are four things that need to be noticed here in relation to this. In order for Paul to position himself and prepare the Galatians for the message that would dominate this entire epistle, uh, four things I said particularly. Number one, there's the, there's the notice of his authority. We notice his authority there as an apostle. He said that right off in verse 1, Paul, an apostle. At least a half dozen times he said that in his epistles, and other times he made reference to it. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. See, Paul's authority had been questioned. Have you ever noticed this, that when the enemy cannot do debate with you in the arena of ideas, they try their best to undermine your credibility and destroy your influence and ability to make your point. And they did that with Paul. That didn't start just politically lately, folks. Uh, that was true right here. That's what they did with Paul. They tried to undermine his credibility. And uh, at least nine times I've found in Paul's epistles where it was necessary for Paul to defend his apostleship. And uh, I heard a preacher say one time, a preacher should never defend himself. Evidently, Paul did not know that because he defended himself often and uh, put it right back into their teeth. He had wonderful credentials. Uh, let me just back up and give you some of his impeccable credentials. Number one, you notice he was convicted of his need of Christ in Acts chapter 9 verse 5. The Lord Jesus said it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He was under conviction because he heard Stephen preach. Now Stephen preached the gospel to that hateful crowd and they stoned him to death, you know that. And Saul was there consenting to it and they laid their garments at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. He was behind that. But I'm telling you, he never got over that sermon, amen. And uh, I have an idea just uh, speculating that God was looking over that scene about that time and he probably said to himself, all right, Satan, if you want to take out my five-star general, I'll take yours out. And so he took Saul out and made him the greatest preacher in 2,000 years. I've also surmised that the devil got his ends together after that and said, I want to know whose bright idea it was to take Stephen out. Look what it has cost us. Amen. <laughs> anyway, by the way, I'm glad I'm serving the God of heaven, not the God of this world. The God of this world is ingenious beyond our ability to imagine. He has power beyond our ability to imagine. But he doesn't hold a light to our God. We see he was convicted of his need of Christ. We see he was converted to Christ in Acts 9 6. When he said, Lord, what would you have me do? Now, I believe he got saved right then. Because in verse 18, the Bible said immediately, there fell from his eyes there were scales, and he received sight forthwith and rose and was baptized. In the book of Acts, people got saved and then they got baptized right soon after that. So I think he got saved, don't you? So he was convicted, he was converted, he was chosen. Acts 9, 15, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name among the Gentiles. In addition to that, he was called, I referred to that this morning, Acts 13 and verse 2, as the minister to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work run to have called them. I thank God that God is still calling young men into the ministry. I got a phone call and a few days ago from a friend of mine down in South Georgia. He said, we just licensed five young men to the ministry. And he said, they are doing great. Man, that's, that's breath of fresh air, folks. 
Uh, we're not seeing enough of that, but thank God for, for it when we do see it. Amen. God needs some of you. You say, preacher, where does God get his preachers? He gets them out of churches like this one right here. He doesn't get them from the university, I'll tell you that. Nor the cemetery. I'm in the seminary. But anyway, he was the called man. In addition to that, he was commissioned. Verse 3, Acts 13, verse 3. The Bible said, and with it fast and prayed, they laid their hands on him and sent him away. <laughs> and uh, he, was seen, he had seen the Lord. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, and last of all, he was seen of me as of one born out of due time. Paul said, I saw the Lord. By the way, an apostle was one who had actually seen the Lord with his eyes after his resurrection. And that added to the credibility of this man. But notice, we not only see his authority, we see his identification with the brethren in verse 2. And all the brethren which are with me, he is identifying with them. Uh, Paul was at Corinth. He's writing to the churches of Galatia here. He is not a freelancer. He's not just lunching out on his own, a church in a By the way, that's God's mission idea, folks. That's his mission plan. You're not going to find one different anywhere in the Bible. Uh, the Holy Spirit calls them, the church approves them, and the Holy Spirit directs them to a ministry, a field of ministry. I've never known of an independent Baptist church that chose a field of ministry for its, for its preacher, boys, have you? That's not our call. That's not our place. That's God's call. And uh, young men in this church acknowledge your call to preach, and, and God gives them some opportunities to preach, and they get some knowledge and some learning, and they're ready to launch out into a ministry. This church will approve them, but it doesn't choose their field, you see. That's God's call, isn't it? But anyway, by the way, some churches don't do it that way, and when they don't do it that way, they're not doing it God's way. But notice something else. We don't see his authority as impossible. We don't we see his identification with the brethren. Also, we notice his attitude toward the believers in verse 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, by the way, that was a Christian greeting in those. Grace and peace was a Christian greeting. When they would separate, separate uh, ways and uh, so forth, uh, grace and peace be unto you. And they would greet one another with that kind. By the way, it wouldn't hurt if we did that. Grace and peace. It was an expression of affection uh, between Christians. Have you ever noticed this? I mentioned this morning that Paul wrote 14 epistles that included the book of Hebrews, and I definitely believe he wrote that. But uh, 99 times grace is found in his epistles. Almost every chapter, 100 chapters, almost every chapter. 99 times. He was a grace preacher. So we also see his authority. Here's identification with the brethren. His attitude toward the brethren. Notice also we see his accurate perception of the gospel. He referred to his concept of it. And now listen to Paul speak about the gospel in verse 4. Who gave himself for us that he might deliver us from for our sins, rather, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. That's, that's the gospel, folks. Uh, Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we shall live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people. Boy, that word peculiar is right, folks. As far as the world's concerned, you are really peculiar. Now, our term for that is strange, man. <laughs> They don't know what makes us tick. But Peter conferred with that, didn't he, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Notice he referred also to his conviction toward it. Look what he said in verse 8 and 9. 
But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that we're preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you receive, let him be accursed. Now I have to admit, Paul didn't sound very nice when he said that. He wasn't made a very good charismatic, folks. <laughs> if you think that was rather terse, you ought to read chapter 5, verse 12, where he said, I would, they were even cut off, which troubled you. <laughs> Paul had no use for false teaching. And uh, by the way, you and I shouldn't either. Uh, not the teachers, but I'm talking about the false teaching. Listen, I hate the teaching of the Mormons. I hate the teaching of the JWs. I hate the teaching of the Calvinists. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hating them. I'm close to it sometimes, but I'm not hating them, you see. But I hate the false teaching. And Jesus felt the same way. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels when Jesus encountered down and out people, he never had one derogatory thing to say to them? He never put anybody down, but when he met false teachers, he had some choice terminology for them. Snakes and serpents and vipers and whited sepulchers and all that kind of stuff. Notice his, he referred to his conception of the gospel, how he got it, verse 11 and 12. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible tells us in Acts 9 20, right after he got saved and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. That's not the whole gospel. Uh, Paul had learned that. Old Saul had learned that by a hard lesson right there. And he preached Christ. He said he's the Savior. But the Bible teaches us in, a, in the process of time, beginning in verse 15 of this chapter, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went out to Jerusalem, those were apostles before me, but I departed and went into Arabia. Paul got a revelation of the gospel after that. And by the way, he preached until they severed his head from his body. But notice now in verse 6 and following, Paul moves on to the subject of perversion which is the reason for this epistle. Because we're, we're in a battle these days to preserve the integrity of our Bible and its cardinal doctrines. Because of that, because of that, I'm going to give you five things tonight in relation to that. If you want to make notes, that's fine with me. Uh, listen, I, uh, somebody said nothing's new unless you forgot where you got it. <laughs> what I'm preaching is nothing new, folks. I'm getting it out of the Bible, and, uh, and, so, and, so, and that's where it should come from. But notice there is the process of conversion, point number one. Verse six and seven, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him which called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. There are two things we need to see in relation to that. Number one, there's the definition of perversion. Verse seven again said, which is not another, but there be some that uh, pervert the gospel, he said, to just simplify the verse. The three definitions for that word perversion. Number one, it means to distort or corrupt. You know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. I want to tell you folks, uh, God's word has been corrupted for a lot of people in our world today. All these new versions, all these new versions, I understand there are more than 200 new English versions of the Bible that have come out in the last several years. And everyone by piecemeal is taking apart the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, well, have you checked that out, preacher? I've checked it as far as I want to go with it. I don't have time to waste on it anymore. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm busy sticking with the real thing, amen. 
Jude warned us about it, didn't he, in verse 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you that's come in salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained of this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I like what one preacher said. He said, you see, they're a bunch of creeps. They crept in, he said. And by the way, that's what false teachers do. I told a man on the pulpit committee up in, up in Maine once, they were looking for a pastor, and I was trying to give him some advice. I said, there are two things you have to find out when you're interviewing someone. I said, you have to find out whether they believe the King James Bible or whether they're just using it, because if they don't believe it, they're not going to tell you that. And I said, you'll have to find out whether they're a Calvinist or not, because if they are, they won't tell you. He didn't take that serious, but after they had a running battle for five years with the one they got, they decided to take it seriously, and the, and the other man stayed there until he passed away and went to be with the Lord. Uh, you have to vet these people out very carefully because they, they come in uh, pretending to be one thing, and they're not. There's something else. I'm telling you, folks, some great churches in America have been ruined because they didn't properly vet the man they called in to fill the pastor's place. They, they slip in and uh, they come in pretending to be one thing when in fact there's something else. Perfect means to destroy and corrupt. It also means to twist or to rest, W-R-E-S-T, rest, or to misrepresent. The psalmist faced some of that and in Psalm 56 verse 5, he said this, every day they rest my words, W-R-E-S-T, twist. They twist my words is what he was saying. Paul made reference to that. Peter made reference to it. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter 3.16, he was referring to some of Paul's epistles. And he said this, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these, which, in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, W-R-E-S-T. They twist, they rest, as they do also other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Listen, there's a world of religious people in our world today that are twisting the scriptures unto their own destruction. And I could name a few. I don't need to do that tonight. But notice, pervert also means to reverse right from wrong. Reverse correction, reverse right and wrong. The Bible said in Proverbs 17, 16, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. The Bible said further in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That word woe in the Bible means trouble, folks. Woe unto them, God said. On the humorous side, I understand that God made Adam a wife and he called her woman. And uh, woe means trouble, amen. Woe, moan, you see. That woe, moan. That, that may be stretching the point a little bit. But Ecclesiastes, are you ready for this? Ecclesiastes 10.6. Are you ready for this? Folly is set in great dignity. Does that not describe the United States of America right now? Folly is protected and promoted. And Christianity is, uh, is uh, put, put on the back burner, so to speak. It's pushed in the back. Uh, it is pro even prosecuted. <laughs> you, need, and you, don't need to guess, you don't need to have to guess who's behind it. The Bible said in John 8, 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father will you do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil's behind all this business, folks, of destroying the credibility 
and the integrity of the Word of God. Thank God we have a book, though, that's still like it was. Do you know we have the only Bible out there that doesn't have a copyright? That is the providence of God, folks. Because if it had a copyright, I contend that somebody like George Soros would buy up the copyright and put it on a shelf and nobody could print it. God made sure that is not going to happen, amen. <laughs> anyway, notice now the definition of that word perversion. Notice the demonstration of it. Uh, terms have been softened considerably in our day. Uh, they use misnomers now to represent things. And a misnomer is a word that, uh, that's the opposite of what it's really supposed to represent. And that's the best way I know how to put that. See, morally speaking, sodomites are gay now. You look in the dictionary, gay has nothing to do with sodomy or that way of life. It means lighthearted. Uh, it means uh, carefree and lighthearted and so forth. By the way, the new dictionaries now have included the sodomy definition into it. They've changed that. It wasn't that way before. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 6 9, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind. If you want to know what God thinks about sodomy, folks, he said they're abusers of themselves. You get caught up in that, you're abusing yourself, amen. By the way, when I preach in any church anywhere, I have to realize there are families out there potentially whose lives have already been touched by sodomy. Maybe in a child, maybe in a grandchild. Uh, anyway, somebody in, in their relationship has already been affected or touched by it, been seduced into it. And, uh, and I, I feel for those families, don't you? Sodomites are gay. Adulterers are sexually active. You know why they say that? Because they don't want to call it what it is. Whoredom. A young lady that lives free like that and she's sexually active is a whore. So that's going to shock some people, isn't it? It shouldn't because that's a Bible word, folks. We need to go back and use some of those Bible words, don't we? Amen. I read about this young lady who was in a class of girls and all of them were fornicators except her. She was straight. And, uh, and every Monday morning when they went back to class, she had to listen to them talk about their sexual escapades over the weekend and they chided her because she was straight and clean and virtuous and, and she put up with it for a while and after a while she said, well, I'll tell you this. I can be what you are anytime I choose, but you can never be what I am. I like that. Listen, young ladies, you give away your virtue, you can't ever get it back. Now, that doesn't mean you can't live a godly life, but you'll always look back and regret that. Adulterers sexually active. What about drunkards? They're, they have a disease. They're alcoholics. You're not going to find that expression in the Bible, folks. Drunkard is what God calls it. Let me read something to you. If alcoholism is a disease, listen to this. It's the only disease that is contracted by an act of the will. It's the only disease that requires a license to propagate it. It's the only disease that is bottled and sold. It's the only disease that requires outlets to spread it. It's the only disease that produces revenue for the government. It's the only disease that provokes crime. It's the only disease that is habit-forming. It's the only disease that is spread by advertising. It's the only disease that bars a person from heaven. It is not a disease, folks. It's sin. Then we have shacking up. You know what that is? Cohabitation. Oh, my daughter cohabitates with a, a young man. See, that, people say that. That's not what God said. God calls it adultery and fornication. 
and uh, some other things. What about murder? In these days, it's abortion. I'm going to tell you some folks, every abortionist in America ought to be tried for murder, first degree murder. And I pray every day that God will give us a president that will lead our nation back from the precipice of destruction and so that abortion will be stopped and people will be prosecuted for this. And uh, they aren't going to get prosecuted. I'm talking about in this world, amen. God's going to prosecute them, I guarantee that. A baby is the fetus. It's a baby, amen. <laughs> Intellectually, creationists are ignorant and evolutionists are brilliant. Let me tell you something. If you claim to be a Christian and an evolutionist, you, have, you are badly confused about Christ. The Christ I'm serving created this world. You know what the Bible said in Hebrews 11, 3, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5, all these verses. Uh, listen, I, 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 I call it devolution. It has ruined the faith of many, many, many young men, young women in America. There was a time in the government school system when creationism was taught. And you know what the, uh, the, 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 birth, the evolutionists said, wait, you, that's not fair. Uh, they at least need to hear both sides of this. And as soon as evolution got in, they started saying, you know, you can't do this. You, you have to get creationism out because it's unconstitutional to teach creationism in the government school. And they got it out. And a lot of other things got out of it. Amen. Politically, political incorrectness can cost you career. Do you know that? Theologically, ecumenism is the end and truth is out. And on and on, I could go with that list. But notice there is the process of perversion. Notice secondly, there are the people of perversion. Look at verse 6 and 7. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him, which called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is another. But there be some that troubled you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Some. Talking about something. He's talking about people that are doing that. You know, when I first read that as a brand new Christian, I couldn't hardly believe it. I could hardly believe that anybody would pervert the gospel of Christ. Listen, folks, it's real. People spend their time and their career and their abilities trying to corrupt the Word of God. Um, you know, we have a correct book. One reason I believe my book, one reason I believe it is because of the character of the people that hate it. You figure out who those people are, and then you, you think, well, there, there must be something to this book. See, Bible believers are not the problem, folks, although we're told that we are. We're not the problem. It's the perverters. Um, I stand for the King James Bible, and uh, I would be called a divider. I'm not the divider. The people that are the dividers are the ones that are trying to get everybody to go to a new version. All I'm doing is staying with the one I had. You're not the problem if you're staying with the King James Bible, folks. Um, not only should you do it, but you're not the problem. The people are the problem that are trying to change you to something else. By the way, there's something demonic about that. Have you ever, let me just illustrate it like this. Uh, if you went to a preacher's fellowship where they use the versions, uh, you're welcome. I don't care which version you use, whether it's reach out, way out, way down. I don't care which version it is. And by the way, they're all different, sometimes radically different from each other. But it doesn't matter which version you use. If you go into one of those camps, you are accepted unless you have a King James. That's demonic. That's, that's, that, the devil's in that. Amen. 
In other words, uh, we'll accept any version except the King James. That's demonic. Amen. I want to tell you something. The demons didn't go out of business after Jesus went back to heaven. They're still around. Anyway, perverters are described in several ways. Uh, first of all, God calls them false prophets in Matthew 24, 11. For many shall, false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Let me tell you something. When I say many, it means a lot. When God says many, it means worlds more than it does when I say it. God said there's going to be a lot of it. Folks, we're living in a lot of it now. Lots of good churches have been ruined over the years by someone that came in and, and introduced a new book and new music and all that kind of stuff. God calls them false prophets. He also calls them false apostles. You remember what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and following? For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, it's no big thing, he said, that his ministers be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know what Paul said? He said they're still busy at it now. In God's churches. You don't hear about Watchtower having a split down at the Kingdom Hall. You don't hear about the Mormons having a split down at the Mormon church. You know why? The devil already owns the place. Why would he mess with that that he already has? I'll tell you where he works. He works in a church like this. He tries to deceive people and, and deceive people and divert them from a good church like this because you're messing with his program, amen. <laughs> Man, let's just keep messing with it. But he calls them false prophets. He calls them false apostles. He calls them deceitful workers in that verse I just shared with you. And the last days are going to be days of deceit. The Bible said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Knowing this also in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. By the way, that fits a lot of groups out there. That fits the JWs. That fits the Mormons. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Maybe I'll say more about that later. You know what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13 down in that same chapter? But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. We are living in that day, folks. We are living in that day. You know, there was a time when you led someone to Christ in a distant city and you could safely say to them, find a good church and get in it. And it was okay. You can't do that now. You have to find a church for them. Because I'll guarantee you, I've had the experience myself, you lead a couple to the Lord, and if you don't help them get into a good church somewhere, the devil will be on their doorstep within a week. The JWs are there with their Awake magazines. I remember one time I went back to visit a couple, and on their coffee table, there were those Awake magazines. Now, I didn't reprove them over it. I just said, you know, I'd sure like to have those. Oh, Pastor, you can have them all. Thank you, thank you. Because I knew what to do with them. Put them in the nearest dumpster, amen. My wife used to kind of get a little uh, uptight with me because we'd go to these shopping strip malls and, and they had these real nice uh, stands there with these beautiful uh, heretical publications on there and it says free and I take all of them, amen. And now, and later it got like this, free, take one. So you want to be ethical about it, you take one and then you take one. 
and then you take one. You want to do things right, folks. Amen. Now, I'm not a smart lady, folks, but it might keep somebody from going to hell. Amen. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, God calls them. Uh, and by the way, he also calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. In Matthew 7, 13, he said, Enter you at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and there is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns and figs of thistles? Even so every good tree beareth good fruit, and a corrupt tree beareth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bear evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bear good fruit. Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. You know what he's saying? When I quote Matthew 7, 13 and 14 about the broad way that leads down, the narrow way which leads up, the very next verse says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing which come to you in sheep's clothing. They don't come, uh, they don't come into your church and say, I, I'm, a, I'm a wolf. I want everybody to know that I'm a wolf. They, they come in in sheep's clothing. <laughs> anyway, Paul warned in his uh, address to Melita, the Christians at Miletus about that in Acts 20 28. He said, Take heed therefore to yourselves and twelve the flock of which the Holy Ghost the major overseers to feed the church of God which you had purchased with his own blood. For I know this after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember the, the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was serious about that. And in verse 29 he said, For I know this that after my departing Acts 20, 28, 29. After my departing shall grievous wolves enter in, not sparing the flock. Many churches have been ruined at that point in their existence. Many of them. One would be too many. God calls them also ungodly men in, verse, in Jude verses 3 and 4. He not only calls them wolves in sheep's clothing, he calls them ungodly men. He also calls them enemies of Christ. Philippians 3, 18 said this. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of Christ. Many walk, he said, but they're enemies of Christ. They look like a sheep. They're acting like trying to be a sheep. But he said they're the enemies of Christ. Paul didn't pull any punches, folks. They're the enemies of Christ. Listen, our world's full of this. You remember what James said in James chapter 4 and verse 4? You adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of Christ. You say, well, preacher, I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian and you, and you get worldly, you become an enemy of Christ by your conduct. That's a serious matter. Did you know that? God, God thinks it's serious. I think it's serious too, don't you? He calls them enemies of Christ. And by the way, the modernists are enemies of the cross of Christ. You know why? They reject his deity. They reject the Peels and the Pauls and the Fosdicks and all that crowd, Ryan Old Newberg, all those people claim to be Christians. They claim to love God, but they rejected the deity of Christ. You know where they are now? They're in hell. If you reject the deity of Christ, you're not on your way to heaven. You know what the, you know what the J.W. said about Christ? Uh, the, he was a great preacher. He was the son of God. He was a great prophet, but he wasn't deity. He was not God in the flesh. Guess what? I've been reading the Bible. He is God in the flesh. <laughs> and 
Sir, was, was he really deity? Let me give you some verses. You already know these. Matthew 1, 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, and shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. How about verses like 1 Timothy 3, 16, And without controversy, the greatest mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That only fits one man in the Bible, folks. That's Jesus. You can't fit that on anybody else. How about Hebrews 1.8? But to the Son, He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. That's the Father talking to the Son. I think God knows who Jesus was, don't you? And we have other verses like Jude 25 and numerous others. But see, they reject His deity. They reject His blood atonement. Now, whether they like it or not, folks, People that are born again are cleansed of their sins by the blood of Christ, just like the hymn went tonight. Boy, I sure like the way that guy directs the song service, don't you? Don't you? Say amen, folks. He needs encouragement. <laughs> I like everything about him except that he's too skinny. <laughs> I used to be skinny myself. <laughs> but he has time. He'll get over it. They reject his blood. The Bible said in Revelation 1, 5, and him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How are you going to get around that? Amen. How can anybody get around that? They reject the grace of God. Verse 6, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him which called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. The gospel that omits grace is not the gospel of Christ at all. The grace of God, God's riches at Christ's expense. I want to tell you something. If it hadn't been for the grace of God, none of us would be on our way to heaven tonight. None of us would. None of us ever could be on our way to heaven. The cultists are enemies of the cross of Christ. They deny his deity, his body, and resurrection. The JW said his body must have dissipated into gases. Chapter and verse, please. Amen. The Bible said he rose the third day. The tomb was empty. A British general fought his way into Jerusalem in 1865, I believe it was. By the way, I wasn't living then. But uh, I read about it. And they found the tomb that came to be known as the garden tomb. He instructed his soldiers, some of his men, I want you to scrape all the residue out of this, t of this tomb up. All the residue. We're going to send it to a scientific laboratory in Great Britain for analysis. They did. They got the results back. The results said no body has ever deteriorated in that tomb. Now, I didn't have to hear that, but I'm glad the world hears some of that every once in a while, aren't you? He rose again. So how do you know? The Pharisees wouldn't have bothered his body. This is logical. Not only theological, but it's logical. They would have had nothing better than a body after three days to prove he wasn't the Messiah. They're the ones who went to the officers and said, make it as sure as you can. We don't want the disciples to steal his body and claim he rose again. It wasn't the Pharisees didn't mess with it. Uh, the, the disciples didn't bother because they had armed guards guarding that tomb. And these, these fellows were running scared anyway. They didn't bother it. The Romans didn't bother it because it was not a Roman thing at all. They, didn't, they couldn't care one way or another. You know what happened? He rose again. By the way, he wasn't crucified on Friday afternoon in case somebody needs me to tell you that. Right. Best I can figure out, he must have been crucified on a Wednesday afternoon 
placed in the grave about dust, the beginning of the Jewish day. He was in the grave Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday. And sometime after dust on Saturday, he rose again. He didn't rise on the morning of the third day. He was gone when they got there, and it was still dark. He was, the tomb was empty. He rose three days, three nights in the grave. He said, just like it was with Jonah, three days and three nights in the heart of the fish. Amen. I don't know if I told you this night, there's some Christian lady, just a young lady, she was a Christian. She wasn't a theologian. Somebody asked her some dumb question about Jonah. She didn't know. She said, I don't know, but I'll ask him when I get to heaven. He said, aha, whether well, he's not there. She said, well, if he's not in heaven, you ask him. <laughs> Paraphrasers were enemies of the cross of Christ. The living Bible, the good news, all of those versions out there, they're enemies of Christ. You know why they're counterfeits, not even good counterfeits. <laughs> you know, if you had a living Bible here, you could prove this. But I understand in Acts 8.37, the Bible said that Philip had witnessed to this eunuch and he'd gotten saved. And he said, well, here's water. What if enemy to be baptized? Uh, beginning in verse 36, as it went on the way, they came into certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What if enemy to be baptized? Philip said, if thou, know, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Commanded the church to stand still. They went down to the water, had a baptizing, went their separate ways. But the profession of faith, verse 37, is left out. So here's the problem with that. If somebody who's never read the Bible decides they want to know God, they pick up the NIV and they read that chapter, here's what they're going to find. A man heard about Jesus and got baptized and went on his way. That's as good as the Campbellites would have and the, and the Catholics. That's as good as, he'd never know that it's necessary to make a heart profession of faith. So, well, well, they just forgot to put it in there. No, they didn't because the verse reference is in there. Verse 37 is in there. The word, I mean, the, the number is in there, but the verse is not in there. And that's just one example. Listen, folks, this book doesn't need to be improved. Truth does not have to be revised. Now, if you're going to print something else, you have to revise that every once in a while, but truth never has to be revised. So what about the New King James that leaves the blood of Christ out, I think, 24 times? It may be 25 instead of 24. I'm not sure. Every new revelation by piecemeal is taking apart the gospel of Christ. Do you know the New King James? Uh, here it is. I had, had it in my notes here. Uh, 23 times leaves repentance out 44 times. One time is too many. We don't need anything left out of this book, folks. So you're pretty well sold on that. You got that right. <laughs> See, we have the truth in this King James Bible. Let me give you some verses, and I'll hurry up and finish here as soon as I can. Second, excuse me, Second Samuel 23, 2, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. That's revelation. I'm excuse me, that's inspiration. Inspiration was not that God chose gifted men that were highly qualified and educated and able to do so to write on certain subjects. You write on, do the best you can. If I like it, I'll put it in the Bible. That's not the way God did that. Uh, it's more like this. In 2 Samuel 23, David, here's what I want you to tell them. And listen, David, here's what I want you to say while you're telling them what I want you to tell them. In other words, I want you to use my words. 325 times plus we have the word of the Lord, the words of the Lord, the word of God, all being synonymous. Because that's what we have. How about Isaiah 51, 16? I put my words in thy mouth. Jeremiah 1, 9, behold, I put my words in thy mouth. That's inspiration, folks. 
These fellows didn't just write a bunch of stuff and, and conjure it up or make up some stuff. God told them what to pin down. Amen. How about Matthew 5.18? Verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all before. With all of the war against our Bible, folks, there's still plenty of, of God's Word left. Amen. I like Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, W-O-R-D-S, shall not pass away. One professor said, uh, well, you know, it's not the words that are so important. It's the thoughts that come through. He forgot to remember that you can't have thoughts coming through without words. And God thought the words were important because that's what he said in that verse. My words, W-O-R-D-S, shall not pass away. Listen, don't mess with God's words, amen. There are his words. I like what Paul said about it in 2 Timothy 3.16, don't you? All scripture is given the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know what we need to do? We just need to reread it and, uh, and teach it and preach it. Notice there's the process of perversion. There's the people of it. There's also the purpose of it. Three things must be considered. Number one, it's a, there's a satanic purpose in here to be deceitful. And the JWs are good at it. The Mormons are good at it. And all these other uh, churches that are claimed to be churches, rather, that are teaching a false gospel. The Catholics are good at it. Do you realize that these people think they're safe to face God when they've been deceived and they're not safe to face God? They've been deceived. Verse 7 said, There are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Can you believe that? There are people that would do that. And the implication is they're doing it on purpose. Satanic. There's a satanic purpose here, and it's not only to be deceitful, it's to be divisive. See, ideally, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. One church. By the way, I've studied all the epistles. And I found the expression, one body, one body, one body, one body, one body. He has a lot of congregations, a lot of local churches across the earth, but he has one body, and we're all members of one body. I found that myself in the Bible. Can you believe that? When I first heard about the Baptist bride thing, I thought if that's, what, if that's true, that's where I need to be. So I started studying on it. And guess what? I found out Jesus has one body, and you get into it by the cross, Ephesians 2.16. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. See, how are you going to get in the body of Christ by the cross? Amen. And by the way, the briders think they have to baptize you into it. And you know what that means? That means you have to depend on a man to put you in it. And he also can put you out of it. God never set up no such a thing as that. Amen. You're still with me, aren't you? I'm trying to quit, but you're not helping me very much. There's a satanic purpose to be deceitful. There's a satanic purpose to be divisive. God intended there to be one church. There are thousands of religions around this world. America has a multitude of religions. That wasn't God's idea, folks. The devil did that. Divisive. Dividing people. Uh, what was that guy that started the Campbellite church? Alexander Campbell? Yeah, that's him. You know what he said? He said the Baptist are the only people that can, trans, uh, that can trace their heritage all the way back to the days of the apostles. Now that's the guy that founded the Campbellite church. He used to call it Campbellite, called Church of Christ now. 
Thousands of religious sects. Uh, only two plans have ever been submitted, by the way. And uh, every church is bought into one plan or the other, the do or the done plan, one of the two. But listen, the satanic purpose is to be destructive. It destroys salvation by grace through faith, plus or minus nothing. You know how I came to that conclusion? By reading this book. When I first got saved, I may have told you this sometime or other, I had a man on one side of me using Scripture to convince me you could be lost again. I had a man on the other side using Scripture to convince me you couldn't. Now, I didn't know much about the Bible, but I knew both these men could not be right. So I started studying myself, and I said, Dear Lord, I'm willing to believe what's right about this if you'll just show me what it is. It was like God knocked over a row of dominoes of a thousand dominoes. I'm telling you, it fell into place so clearly that we have, we have a precious commodity of eternal significance called everlasting life. Not, not, not temporary life. If you're saved, you're not on probation. Aren't you glad to hear that? Some people think they are. By the way, these people that don't believe they're saved eternally, if they've trusted Christ as their Savior, they're still saved eternally. They're going to wake up in heaven one day and say, Oh, man, I was taken. I went through a lot of anguish over that when I didn't even realize I had eternal life. I mean, why would you call it that if it wasn't that? <laughs> it's to be destructive. It destroys the plan of salvation. It destroys justification by faith. By the way, if you've been saved, you've been made just in the sight of a holy God. A holy God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Our God is holy beyond our ability to get hold of. He can't look on sin. The only way you could ever be made just in His sight is to trust His Son as your Savior. And through His Son, you're made just in the sight of a holy God that cannot look on sin. Destroys positional sanctification. Destroys our escape from, the only escape from hell. You know what the Bible said in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? How shall we escape? There is no escape unless you trust Christ as Savior. How many of you remember, remember the name Houdini? You remember that name? The escape artist. Now, I don't know about his person. I don't know whether he's saved or not. I have no idea about that. But listen, they would tie that. They would put his hands in... in uh, Cufflinks, uh, cuff, not cufflinks, um, handcuffs, yeah, handcuffs. Listen, when you're 80 years old, you can get by with stuff like that. And don't you try it if you're not 80 years old, but I'm 80 years old. I turned 80 in November, so I'm entitled to that. Anyway, and they, they'd drop him out of a plane with a parachute on his back and his hands cuffed behind his back. The crowd would look in awe as he fell 180 miles an hour toward the ground. And they watch closely through their binoculars and, and all of a sudden they see his hands appear and he pulls the ripcord and saves his life at the last moment. Sometimes they would cuff his hands behind him and drop him with weights tied to his body into some deep water. And the people would stare and watch in awe. And you could hear a pin drop. And after a while, his head pops up. His hands have been freed. He freed himself from the weights. He survived. But if he died and went to hell, he's still there. No escape. Anyway, what about the power of conversion? By the way, one reason I hate Calvinism is because they mess with salvation, folks. Anything mess with salvation, I don't have use for it. We see the process. We see the people of perversion, the purpose of it. We see the power of it. By the way, error has power. Don't forget that. 
There is a spirit that goes with false teaching that will captivate you. That's why Watchtower says 40% of our proselytes are former Baptists. The Bible said in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Oh, uh, You know, if you ever make yourself an audience to false teaching, I guarantee you'll know that some, there's a spirit that comes along with that and it's trying to get you to believe what that false spirit, the false teaching is. That's why so many people get deceived into these false religions. There is a spirit, a seducing spirit that's as real as the Holy Spirit. And you have to be aware of that. <laughs> the Bible said in 1 John 4, 6, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There is a real spirit that comes to visit you when you make yourself an audience to false teaching. So I like to let, yeah, I like to let those people in and debate with them. You better quit that. Because they've been trained on how to seduce you. I mean, lots of training. And then, of course, there's the punishment of it. You know what Paul said in Galatians 1.8? But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that we preached unto you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you've received, let him be accursed. Chapter 5, verse 12, the wood they wouldn't cut off was trouble you. God is going to take care of the false teachers, folks. And we have to take care of ourselves here. We have to be careful. You've been a good audience. You've listened well. I could go on with this. I don't need to do that. I want you to stand. I want our musicians to come. And uh, Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the word of God and the various things that have been a great integrated stuff into the picture tonight. And thank you for these people that listen so well, so intently. I do not know their hearts. I have not preached particularly to unsaved people. But if there's someone here tonight that isn't saved, I trust and pray they'll come and trust Christ as Savior. And Lord, there could be some others that just need to come and spend some time with God tonight. And I trust they'll feel the liberty to do that. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I'll just ask them to go ahead and lead us in a song. What are you going to sing, brother?